Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11. If you'll kind of notice, we're stopping at 11, and you'll kind of notice if you peep ahead at 12, that next week is Youth Week, and you'll see what a perfect spot to stop and start with Youth Week at, uh, I believe, Luke Middlestetter is going to be speaking, I think, but who's speaking then? So they asked me to uh, speak up to 11. Um, I told Pastor Raleigh, I said, I said, do you want me to to speak on what maybe I have already prepared, because normally I have something prepared ahead of time, because I am the third stringer. So if something drastic happens at the last minute, like we've had before, they both had COVID and things have happened, you know, that I can step in. And Raleigh goes, what do you have prepared? I said, well, I got a couple of things. I said, I said, the problem is I might thin the herd down a little bit of what I want to talk about. And Raleigh goes, well, is it scriptural? Yeah. Is it the truth? Yeah. Okay, you're not getting that today. <laughs> I'm going to save that till later. So we're going to go to 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11. Our big idea. It says, sound doctrine is the key to understanding the promise of God. Praise God, sound doctrine. And that's what Paul is trying to teach Timothy, isn't it? is the sound doctrine and the promise of God. So to start with, he said, what is a good shepherd? And a lot of your translations would be minister. So what is that? It's faithfully teaching the truth to those in their care. And I hope and I think you know that that has always been the goal of the pastors and the elder board here of trying to teach the truth. Teaching the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple as that. Okay, there might be some secondary areas that maybe we might not all agree on, but guess what? The truth of Christ is being preached, and I hope that will never change. Because some churches, unfortunately, preach what? Christ was what? A good prophet, wasn't he? Really, a good prophet. Some of them will also teach other things about him, but not as being Christ. Or you have to work for your salvation. What? You know. So, so unfortunately today, and then there's some churches that actually preach the gospel, but they veered from the truth, haven't they? They veered. All of a sudden they're preaching prosperity. And they're speaking other things. What a shame. What a shame. Because there's only one truth in there. That's it. That's all. But I wanted to look at what happens to those who teach false doctrine. You're right, brother. The first one, Second Peter 2.1 It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Don't sound good, does it? And I saw another little scripture right underneath that in 2 Peter 2.4, because it said swift destruction. I've tried to look up destruction other than it just meant destruction, but it was going to be swift. So I found something else in 2 Peter 2.4. It said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to keep until the judgment. Does that sound like that could be swift judgment at the end? You know, that's almost scary to think of what's going to happen to those people. I feel sorry for them. But if you preach that heresy, these are some of the things that can happen. Or what will happen, not could happen, what will happen to you if you teach those things. I have another scripture, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to the different gospel. And I love this part from Paul. Not that there is another one. You're turning from it. There's only one. But there are some who trouble you and want to dis- dis- distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I like his point that he's really making here and making it real, real clear. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. And that's even if all of a sudden you hear us saying something different other than what was preached to you to begin with, that's heresy. I'm letting you know right now. But I love the way he put it. Even we, if we change that gospel. It says, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, what's accursed mean? The abbreviation, the the meaning for accursed is doomed to destruction or misery. So that's what they're looking forward to. That's what they're going to have. That they will be accursed. Changing a little bit here, it says, Timothy was given the responsibility to bring up more servants. In 2 Timothy 2.2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I've always felt that we've tried to do a good job at that, the pastors have, of trying to bring up other men, other people in the church to be able to preach and to teach. That's so important. And it's just not the men, it's also the women in the church to be able to teach and preach the same thing to other women to be able to grow and prosper. And another thing, we have our apprenticeship program that we have here that what Luke Metastetter is in now. Uh, Seth Wright went through, and he's a serving pastor right now. Luke is, I can't remember if he's already in seminary or he's just applying to seminary, but he's going to go to seminary. 
It is so important to take the young brothers and sisters. They are the future of the church. It's not me. I'm old. You know, I'm here to help. But the future of the church is to our young brothers and sisters. And who are they trying to bring up? Who are we trying to help bring those people up as them? And I also want to say another thing. You know, our apprenticeship program is primarily, we've had two guys that's went through it. Okay? If there's a sister, a young gal that says, you know, I'm just using this as one example. She wants to be in full-time a missionary. Okay? Well, she needs trained. You know, I'm just using that as an example. Well, she can be in our apprenticeship program because she needs to be brought up. We have, we have people on our mission boards that has served in the mission field. I don't mean they've went for a week. They have stayed and served in the mission field. But they would be able to train them and help them and be able to guide them. Um, so this isn't just for one person. And it is, it is for teaching and training. Um, I shouldn't say names or anything, but Michelle Huffman has went to special training for teaching. We have sent her there to be able to teach and to learn. So we do that with people to bring them up. Sorry, Michelle. I didn't. <laughs> she gave me a hand. That's okay. That's okay. The next, it says, being trained in the words of the faith. Being trained in the words of the faith. And you're talking about Timothy, obviously. It says, 2 Timothy 3.15. 2 Timothy 3.15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with this sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith of Jesus Christ. you got to remember at that time, um, the guys... The young men, the young boys were the ones that went to the synagogue and was taught by the rabbis, weren't they, in the scripture. They were the ones who gave it. So he had that, didn't he? And obviously in the Old Testament, there were so many different places that was directed towards Christ, wasn't it? And Christ coming, his salvation. So he's saying basically, you know, you were taught that through the sacred writings. And you can see that now through the salvation of Christ. And one other thing, in 2 Timothy 1.5, 2 Timothy 1.5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells as well as you. I know there's people in here that's had such a blessing from that faithful mother and grandmother. Now, just by coincidence, guess what my grandmother's name was? Lois. And she was such a saint, such a woman of faith. My mother was the same. I get choked up a little bit when I, when I think about it. <clears throat> Mom was a wonderful saint as long as along with her mother. And that gave me so much strength. You look back on it, and you don't think about it when you're a kid. Eh, you know, they're okay. But when you get older, 
you realize what they were and how they contributed to your life when you look back. And then guess what? My aunt's name was what? Eunice. And she was, a, the day before she died, she was speaking the name of Christ. How can it get any better than that? I had three women in my life that helped form me and help me. And I don't, that's all I can say, you know. I hope you have had that blessing in your lives that had those people in your lives. And then next, it talks about as parents, we have the privilege and responsibility to do what? To teach our children also. Now, I have to say, I am so proud of our church with our Sunday school programs and our youth programs. Believe me, there's no material that's taught to those kids that hadn't been scrutinized and looked over and made sure they were the truth. So, they, if they come here, they've had a great background, but also, what is your responsibility? And I love the way it said, a privilege and a responsibility to help bring your kids up in good doctrine and sound doctrine. And to be what? An example. If you teach those things and you're not an example yourself through your life, what good is it going to do? So you need to have that faith and that example for them. Also, have you ever noticed the best teachers are always, they always remain students, don't they? They're always in the Word. They're always looking at the Word. They're continually growing. And why are they doing that? Because they're continually growing in their faith and in their spirit, their spiritual exercise. That's how they continue to grow. And we have to understand that. Once you stop that, then your growth stops. You have to continue on. And I've had, you know, some people go, well, you know, I did that when I was younger. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where does it say in Scripture, once I get a certain age, I stop doing that? Wait a minute. Your growth continues until you're with Christ. 1 Timothy 4.7. 1 Timothy 4.7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Made it real clear. Don't have nothing to do with them. Reject them. Refuse them. Refute the silly myths. Stay away from them. Okay, what are silly myths? Well, you got to remember back at that particular point in time, the, the Greek and Romans had what? Hundreds of gods. Everything had a god. And what you were to do, you were kind of sort through that pile of these people, of these, quote, gods, and decide which one, which one am I going to worship? So what do you do? You go down to the local idol store, and you go in, and you go, hey, I've decided I'm going to, I'm going to worship this one. And old Bob goes, 
you know, I just made up a bunch of them. I got plenty of them. Here you go. So now that's what you've decided to worship. That's what they were fighting at that time with these myths, wasn't it? The thoughts of having one and only one true God with the, with the Greeks and Romans was just unheard of. It didn't make any sense. Well, we got all these gods. No, there's only one true God. Talked about rather train yourself in godliness. Now, we got to remember when we say train, Paul is actually saying train, like a physical training, using that as an example for godliness. Because they understood that. Because with the Greeks and the Romans, what physical training was a big deal, wasn't it? The Greeks had what was the beginning of what we would consider the Olympics. The Romans had what? The gladiators that fought. So physical exercise was a big deal because it was demanding. It was being committed. So what's Paul telling Timothy? It says, Paul tells Timothy that the same work and commitment that others put toward physical exercise would be put towards the pursuit of what? Godliness. This ain't easy, folks. It's hard work. You know, and that's what he's trying to come across with using train as an example. It's hard work. You've got to be committed. You've got to be focused. And that's what he's trying to get across to Timothy that he needs to be able to do as he continues in his godliness and teaching people and being a good servant. It says in Timothy 4.8, it says, For while bodily training is some value, I love it, good old Paul. Yeah, it's worth something, you know. It's of some value. But godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so... So you're talking about godliness as a value. Okay, this godliness. It says, what is spiritual exercise? What is it? A lot of it's just simple, isn't it? It's just real simple. It says, read and study God's word. You know, it's kind of selfish on my part a little bit. But do you know why I'd like to possibly teach and speak and do that kind of stuff? Because it does what? It makes me study. And that's part of the reason why I enjoy doing it. Because I'm like everybody else. I can get lazy. I can maybe go for a while and not, I can read it, but I'm not really studying it. I mean, if anybody, if you're honest at all, everybody should be saying amen to that one. You know, that's how it is. But since I know that, I try to make sure that I do these other things to what? To make me go in and study the Word. Because there's a big difference between reading it and actually studying it. That's the reason why when, when I do things like this, if I speak or teach, you know who ends up getting, getting the most blessing out of doing that? I hate to say it. It's me. Because, or whoever, whoever put it together. Because they're the ones that studied it. They're the ones that dove into it. They're the ones that really looked into it. 
And, and normally, that's what will happen. That person will be the one that will get, not that other people won't get a blessing, but will get the most blessing because you did what? You were studying the Word. It says applying God's Word. Applying God's Word in everyday life, isn't it? You take God's Word and you take what He's taught us. You take the examples He's given us and, and you apply it. You apply it every day. You can't come in here and play God and then go out and not live the same life. You have to go out and apply God's word in every step of your life all the time. Number three, attending public worship. We've all, I know you've all had this. I have. I've gotten on maybe some friends or people I've known about, hey, I haven't seen you at church. How's come you're not at church? And the response will be what? I don't have to be a Christian. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, yeah, that's right. I'm not going to argue that with you. But what did it say about spiritual exercise, coming and attending, hearing God's word preach, possibly going to a class and learning, being with other Christians of the same, other people of the same faith, that where we can grow together, fellowship with each other. That is spiritual exercise that we need to do. Number four, praying. What a great thing to have that direct line to God. And we have a direct line. You know, we, we, we don't have to get the operator or nothing, do we? Only old people remember that. <laughs> Actually getting the operator. <laughs> but praying, to me, when I pray, it's a comfort. When I get through praying, it's just almost like, huh. it's just such a comfort, such a relief. It's such a blessing. And I hope we do that. I know when, when they interview to be an elder, you know, you, somebody just doesn't go say, hey, you want to be an elder? No, you go through an extensive interview. Uh, they asked me, on a scale of one to five, where's your prayer life? Five being the top. I said, well, I said, it's probably only about a three. Said, well, that's probably a real honest answer, isn't it? I said, yeah, but I said, I'm, I'm working, that one I'm working on too. But, but it, like I said, it gives me such comfort when I pray and have that direct line. Okay, number five, it says giving time. You know, in today's society, that may be one of the toughest things to do. Everybody's going 100 mile an hour, going 15 different directions. I got this kid's got to be here, and I got to do this and do that. I really don't have time to give to the church or really time to, to have that growth I got too many other things going on. Uh, Okay. If you want spiritual growth, there has to be time involved. There has to be time in looking into the word. There has to be time of being able to, to be able to contribute to the fellowship, to the church. You have, sometimes that is one of the hardest things to do. And really, more valuable to a lot of people because of that than anything else is time. The next is money. Okay, 
Okay, here we go. We're talking about money. No, no, not really. We're talking about money. 2 Corinthians 9, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And basically what it's saying is, if you don't do it cheerfully out of your heart, keep it in your pocket. They, there isn't no percentage, you got to give so much in the New Testament. It's, he only wants it if what? If you give it cheerfully from the, for the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And people think about amount, amounts. There's nothing about amounts. It's from your heart. And, it, and it's how, how much it is that doesn't mean nothing. Like the poor woman that gave her last two pennies at the temple. She gave it all. We're not saying to give it all. You know, but she gave it from her heart, didn't she? That's the reason why she did it. And that's the reason why we should be to do that. To help build the kingdom. To help build the church. To help touch people's lives. That's the reason why we should be doing it. Next, abilities to God. You know, that's one thing. I've had so many people, they go, I don't have any abilities. I don't have any gifts. Oh, don't give me that. Well, I can't really speak in front of people. So what? You know, you may have the gift of listening. You know, lots of times there's people... They just want to have somebody to talk to. You don't have to have any great advice. Just to be there. Or somebody that that has a heart of giving. Or somebody that says, you know, I really don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't do that stuff. But, you know, I'm real handy with my hands. I could really, I could do things to help people possibly doing something like that. Well, great. Tell somebody. Tell somebody at church. Let somebody know that you would, would, would want to use your ability to possibly help someone at their house or at some place or whatever to help them on a mechanical problem or whatever. Share that. Because everybody has a gift or ability. My mom, she was kind of an introvert. And she, you know, but you know what she did? She loved to clean. You know where I'm going. She cleaned the church. That's what she did. Well, what, what better thing to come in and have the church clean and looking nice? That was her ministry. That's what she did. That was her ability. And peop- some people would say, oh, clean the church. Yeah, clean the church. That was fantastic. I was always proud of my mom. You know, because she did that for years. She did it for so long, they finally started feeling guilty and said, we got to pay you something, you know. No, I don't want No, we're paying you something. So they finally, they started paying her a little bit of money to help clean the church, you know. She didn't want it. That was her ministry, you know. But finally, when they wouldn't say no, she accepted it. Next thing, and godliness is a win-win, and godliness is a win-win. It gives you holds promise for the present life. It gives us peace and hope 
and it gives you guidance in your life. And then what's the next? It says, to life to come, eternal life and salvation. How can it get any better than that? He gives us hope. He gives us guidance in our life, even though sometimes our life is turned upside down. But guess what? He gives us hope, doesn't he? He gives us guidance, how to get through it, how to battle it. And that's what he does, giving us that, that salvation, that hope, that guidance. Again, win-win. We win in the present life, and we win being with our Lord Jesus Christ at the end. And we're all going to be there someday. First Timothy 4.9. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. What's Paul saying? Paul's basically giving his stamp of approval, isn't he? This is the truth. This is it. And we got to remember, and also, Paul was an an apostle. And again, he is saying, this is the truth. Sometimes we kind of forget about that, don't we? That Paul was actually an apostle. He was like the other apostles. He was called by Christ. And he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he had that authority to be able to say that. And then another thing. What's Paul saying about this? You can take it to the bank. It's true. Timothy 4.10 says, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What is toil? It's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. Nobody, you know, in Scripture, nobody said it was going to be easy. It's hard work. It talks about in our daily spiritual exercise of godliness has a goal, eternity with Christ. In Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this I struggle, for this, I'm sorry, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that we powerfully works within me. You know, it's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes it's a struggle. Nobody said it was going to be easy. It's toil, and lots of times it's struggle. But what is it? We have that promise. We have that promise that he will give us peace, peace, hope, and guidance, and, and our prize at the end of being with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, because we have hope set on a living God. You know, some, some religions, uh, let's see, Muhammad's dead, isn't he? He's in a grave. Buddha is what? He's in a grave. What makes Christianity different is because our Christ rose and he's alive. If we don't, if there's anything we take from this, we praise God that he's a living God. He's not a dead God. He's not something that's buried in the ground. He's alive. That's how he can give us strength. That's how he can give us guidance because he's alive. He's living. 
in Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Does it? He will never die again. Because he's, he's with the Lord. And, and he has made his final sacrifice. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. How important is that, him raising? If our Lord Jesus Christ had come, he died and was buried, what's it say? We are still in our sins. But he rose. And that's what took it away. Because without him rising, we had what? No hope. We have no hope. If he didn't rise, there was none. So by him rising... That is our living God. That's what's given us hope. That's what's given the assurance of our salvation. And without that, what do we have? We are still in our sins. So praise God that he made the final sacrifice for us and did just that. The next section, it says, Who is the Savior of all people? says, who is the Savior of all people? Let's see what it says. 2 Timothy, oh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't say all are, are they? But he just says, not wishing that any should perish. In his heart, he really does not. It grieves him when people don't come to Christ. It truly grieves him. Because he really wants everyone to come to Christ. In Titus 2.11, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, see, scriptures like this, you know how people take scripture and go, yep, this is what this says, but they don't read on, do they? They don't read what it says before, and they don't read what it reads afterwards. They just take that little slice. So some people were saying, see, he brought salvation. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Everybody's saved. Everybody's covered by his grace. Hmm. What do we have to do? We have to read on, don't we? Now, it was kind of interesting. It says, especially the those who believe. I kind of looked at that and tried to understand especially. Um, I tried to look at it and didn't see anything. Uh, it was kind of a different word to throw in there, especially. But one thing I do understand is of those who believe. That I understand Ephesians 1.13. They are so good at putting that up. I always, say, I always say the scripture and I look at, well, I wonder, I make sure it's up there. It's always up there. Thank you. 
It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what believed in him were sealed with the promised promise Holy Spirit. Promised Holy Spirit. Romans 10 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's the key? Believe. You have to believe. There's a lot of people say, well, I think there's a God. I think, okay. But you do, do you believe Christ died and rose again as our salvation? Mm, I don't know. Then you don't believe. That's what you have to believe. That is your salvation. That everyone's not going to be saved, unfortunately, as much as we also would like to believe that. But it's not. That you have to believe. You have to have a faith. You have to believe in Christ. There's no other way. There, unfortunately, today, there's a lot of things out there that's telling you there is. But there isn't. There's only one way. In Timothy 4.11, Paul is saying, Command and teach these things. You know, Paul was pretty forceful. When he said command, he's telling, take charge. He's telling Timothy, you've got to take charge. End of, end of conversation. You can't be wishy-washy about this stuff. You've got to take charge. And why? Because you will meet with confrontation, won't you? Everywhere you turn, there's going to be con- We've already said them, didn't we? There's going to be mess. There's going to be false teachers wanting to teach things that's not the truth. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard work. And so that's what it says. Because you will meet confrontation for false teachers, myths, and we've not talked much about it because that's part of what we're, what's going to be talked about next week, but talking about his age. He was considered very young to hold a position of that type of authority. And so he's going to meet opposition because of his age. So he's going to have to confront all this. So Paul's telling him, you've got to take charge. You've got to be forceful. You've got to be commanding. Because Paul has went through that, hadn't he? Paul has had to be forceful. Paul has had to be demanding. Paul has had to be right there. Um, nose to nose with certain people. So that's what, that's what he is telling Timothy he needs to do. Our next step says train yourself in sound doctrine. You know, that's your responsibility, isn't it? Because nobody... You, the pastor can come up here and say things and going, oh boy, you know, that's, that was right. What did it say in Scripture before? Somebody's teaching false doctrine. That's your responsibility to know that. Because you have to know the Scripture. You know, 
It's so easy just to have somebody tell you and kind of feed you that. But when you have to dig into it and learn yourself, again, what did we just say? That's work. That's hard work. You know, that is your responsibility. Yes, and the church is to help you learn that. The, the church is there to help you to dig deeper and try to learn more and try to get deeper into the Scripture. But it's still the bottom line is your responsibility to do this and to understand God's Word and to study God's Word. That's your spiritual growth. Even though I didn't put it down here, the next thing that's so important, what did we just got through talking about? Believe that Christ has risen. That's the main thing, isn't it? You have to believe that, that he has risen for our sins. And I hope for today, they call it the pastor's corner, connect corner, whatever, it is, whatever that corner is over there, that you're really feeling that. You want to get deeper in the words. You want to do that. There will be somebody over there that will kind of help you with that, give you direction. Or you're saying, you know, I'm not sure if I really believe. Well, come over there and talk to someone. Guy, you know, in the old days when I was a kid, you know, you always had an altar call. You know, people would come forward and they'd play the song for about 20 minutes hoping somebody would come up, you know. Uh, you know, we don't do that. But we do give you the opportunity that there's somebody over there to talk to. If you need guidance, if you've made that first decision for Christ, that there's somebody there to help you and direct you in that process. So I hope someone here has made that decision, that they truly believe that Christ has risen. And they've made that first-time decision. I pray that's been done. We go to prayer. Lord, again, we want to thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and to come together as a group to worship you and to grow and prosper in your word. Lord, continue to give us strength, continue to give us guidance, continue to bring us back again next week, and have our lives be that life of faith, that it will shine through our daily lives for you. Lord, again, always, if somebody does not know you as Lord and Savior, that decision was made today. We ask you guide and direct us and bring us back again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.